Hello and welcome back to episode, was it four now? Episode four. Episode four. We've done some great work. I'm uh, really proud of us, Eli. I think we've done amazing. The fact that we've done four of these is surprising. The fact that three people have agreed to come on this show is amazing. Yeah. Um, and we're excited to welcome our third guest. But before we do that... We would, we would just like to talk about a topic that both me and Eli and our guest is extremely passionate about. And yes. that is soil science. Exactly. Uh, I, th- I can't speak for Eli, but I know me and at least the person coming on soon is extremely passionate about soil science. Yeah, so, so we, we wanted to take these first few minutes before we actually introduce our guest uh, to talk about what our favorite soil type is. And then uh, when we introduce uh, our guest as an expert, as a self-proclaimed expert of soil types, um, they will be able to give us their uh, favorite. Um, so yeah, I'll go first when talking about my favorite soil type. Um, you can call me basic, but I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the spotosol. Um, I think that what's really interesting about the spotosol is that it's, you know, it's a soil meant for like really dense and wet regions, right? Very humid regions, which normally one would think like that's where plants would thrive. But this one is like, no, like it's acidic, it's infertile, like it's where plants don't grow surrounded in a region you know where plants are supposed to grow think florida think maine um so yeah i'm a, I'm a spotosol guy through and through jack what are your thoughts though personally i i differ from like what a lot of people would say i think when people think about soil they think about you know lush and like vegetation growing and fertilization but i'm a big fan of the aridosols mainly because it, it, it you find them in like like where you would like raise like cattle cattle or whatever like wildlife are there it's very like large pasture grains you don't get a lot of vegetation there because it's very acidic it's got a lot of clay in it and there's definitely a lot of metals but it, it it's from my home state of texas that's like where you would find it in that region and it's just the opposite of what soil thinks so that's why i find it personally interesting yeah i mean what oh, yeah. an amazing topic too and yeah jack do you want to introduce our guest yeah so our self-proclaimed expert on soil science, our guest for this episode, Antonio. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. This is a, uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here talking with you know, this incredible show. Thank you for having me. So thank would you, you like to uh, tell everybody what your favorite soil order is and why? Yeah. Um, so really, uh, my favorite soil uh, type really goes hand in hand with my favorite biome which is uh, obviously the chaparral. Uh, I really like it because I think it represents life really well because, you know, um, all the vegetation grows up and then once it becomes too much, boom, fire, all of it to the ground, all of it dead, and then it has to start over again from scratch, from nothing. And the soil type that's there is the mollusol. And um, I really like that soil type because it's very, I think it's very adaptable, it's very capable of, um, growing new stuff obviously and then just using the old stuff to build new stuff you know it's just very like open to change and like not afraid of just restarting and making something beautiful and new just like everything just like you know the chaparral is if you've been to california it's it's a beautiful biome and um yeah that's uh, that's why i love the mollusols lovely answer lovely what an expert opinion too i, I was just, i was blown away um, Thank you. So yeah, we uh, we hear you have a topic you want to discuss. Do you want to? Wait, before we get to the first topic, we we need to ask you. Oh, 
do okay. you think a hot dog is a sandwich? I think it is not. It's not. Okay. Respectable. Respectable. Okay. Now Good answer. You Good answer. For a topic. So, uh, so today, the topic that I would like to begin to talk about is vegans. And um, I'd like to talk about this topic because it's kind of interesting to me um, because I think that um, as young people, our generation is like very much uh, attracted to things that are modern and like things that are like avant-garde and futuristic. If you talk to people who are our age, you'll hear about like, yeah, we need to transfer into uh, a renewable energy um, grid, you know, cause it's not good to contaminate the world or else where we're going to live in. We have to purchase things that are like socially responsible and like, um, purchase like ethical consumption is so big everybody's looking for it's like oh yeah I can't go to that restaurant though because they source their um, lettuce from Maine instead of like a local place you know and because that pollutes the earth more I'm not gonna go to that restaurant so like everybody's kind of thinking like that but I feel like when it comes to being vegan there's still like so much of a stigma I'm not personally vegan just so you know um, my girlfriend is vegan so that's why I know I guess about it but I feel like there's still a lot of stigma around it. And it's like, oh, you're vegan. You're such a nerd, you know? But, so we have a few questions before we delve into any, like, opinions. So first one is, could you explain for anybody who may not know, because some people actually don't know, can you explain the difference between vegetarianism and veganism? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> There's actually more than just those two. You also have like pescatarianism. Like right. basically the way that it works is that there's like a bunch of little like stages. And the first stage is what most people are, which is like eating whatever the hell they want that they're not allergic to. And then the ultimate stage is being vegan, which is where like you, basically the definition of that is do not eat animal products. Right? So that means no meat. Of, of any kind no chicken no uh, fish no nothing and then on top of that you can't eat like animal products which are like um dairy products mostly is the big thing like also goat pro products and then like um there's like really hardcore vegans out there that don't eat honey for example because it is a insect product i guess and um you have to like really watch it in every single thing you eat for like for example, in gummy bears, they actually use like um, insects, like wings to make it shiny and vegans can't eat that. So they can't eat gummy bears. So it's like, it actually goes a lot deeper than you think. Um, so yeah, and then vegetarianism, I think it's just that you don't eat meat, but you can still eat like eggs and dairy and stuff like that. There are, there are some vegetarians who actually don't eat, eat eggs. Like eggs specifically, but they can still eat like dairy and yeah, they're pieces and milk. Like that is more like I feel like vegetarianism have like more lenient rules. Correct. Than veganism. It's, it's like a, a spectrum with like correct. vegan being kind of like the the most extreme kind of right. Correct. Okay. All right. Now, would you like to explain like reasons of why people may uh, choose the vegan lifestyle? Uh yeah, definitely. Um. I think that there are two like major reasons why I think people would consider becoming vegan and why people should be vegan. Um, the first one is because of animal right, it, like animal rights and like being conscious of like how they treat animals in the food industry. 
Um, chicken is probably your easiest example. Uh, I don't know if you've seen like the videos from the chicken farms that people like, you know, the secret agent guy will like jump into this disgusting chicken farms to record it. And um, these chickens are like not treated well like at all to any degree. Like your little cage free thing that it says on your eggs packet is like complete idiocy just because they may not be in cages, but they're like so crowded in these farms that there's literally like they can't even move like these chickens will like lose will literally just sit down and never stand up again because they have their their legs will just underdeveloped and they won't be able to hold up their own weight just because they're not they can't physically move anywhere so they just don't use their legs ever, you know and then on top of that there's also like um that's for like chickens um for well actually this isn't really animal rights related, but like, for example, for fish, there's also like mercury issues, as we learned, Enviro. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, fish, uh, like, when you're eating a fish, a fish is like an animal that's like on the top of the food chain. And so it's going to have the mercury that every single, like, it ate like smaller fish, and then those fish have mercury. And so it has all the, like, it has everything in it, you know? And then when you eat the thing, like, can you guys still see me? I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah we got you. Okay. And um, just the mercury is like really bad for you. And um, But the biggest issue for me would definitely be the environmental part of it. Um, I think that if you, for example, for beef, um, making beef like takes so much water. And that is like really, really, really bad for the earth. And like that same goes for any kind of like animal protein. I don't know if I'm like blabbing on you guys can stop me whenever. Um, and then like cow spark, that's like actually like a major issue, <laughs> like all the methane that they pump out into the atmosphere, like because beef farming is so worldwide, then it's, it's like a lot, dude. It's like so much more than you think. It's like comparable to cars and stuff like that, just because they, we consume so much beef and, you know, at the worldwide level. And, um, even though pork and chicken and like, well, obviously not fish because fish don't fart, but like they still, like, they're not as big as beef. They still produce methane, and they still consume water, and they still consume, like, so much in order to, you know, make the product. And honestly, it's not really sustainable. I, I think that it, at some point, like, everybody's going to have to be vegan because it's simply not possible. So you think that in, I don't know how, how many years, but you think that gradually the whole world will wean on to... <laughs> Uh, onto this vegan lifestyle? Um, yes, but also no. I think that people who like understand that the current way that like the human race is existing um, on the planet is like very unsustainable. And that if we don't like stop consuming resources at such a rate and in such an unsustainable way, that there's basically just not going to be anything left in like 150 years. And like, I think that people who understand that will be like, well, what can I do? And then they'll like switch to being vegan because that's like one major way that you can cut off your own like um, greenhouse gases and like carbon footprint. But I think that there is like a very big portion of the population that is either like not going to be educated to know like 
not only not only the situation that the world is in, but also like what they have to do to help for it. So like just because you know not knowing, they're just going to continue to do what they do. And then there's also people who are like stubborn and don't care and just love me, so I'm just going to continue eating it, even though it's bad for the world. You know. Yeah, and that that kind of brings us to like a good question for uh, Antonio and for Jack, which is, you know, veganism from like an environmental standpoint, from an animal rights standpoint, you know, veganism is like an amazing option. Um, but, you know, meat is also a very delicious uh, food substance. So, uh, you know, my, my question is, uh, how do you balance that? I, I know all three of us eat meat in our diets. So like, how, how do the two of you try to do you try to form a balance? Do you not? Why? Why not? Uh, so yeah. I've been talking for a lot, so if you want, you can start. Jim. Okay, I'm just. I think. Um, you know, it's tough because I think right now, in America, obviously, I think there's like the more organic and generally like vegan product products tend to be more expensive. So I think that is a problem of getting everybody to go to that lifestyle. So it's kind of like, it's not as like money efficient per se. So for me personally, I like to eat meat. I'm just going to say it. And I understand like what people who are vegan are trying to say and trying to do. And I respect that. And I'm in full support of them. I just personally don't think that I would ever, I would say ever, but I, right now, at least right now in my life, I do not have the willpower to take all animal products out of my diet, personally. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, that's fine. I, I'm definitely like in the same boat as you. Like I, I love eating meat. I was raised on meat. Um, my mom, my grandmother, phenomenal cooks of meat <laughs> you know and they make meat taste delicious and i love it but um i honestly like i think there is a way to balance it um uh, when i'm here at home then i think it's a little bit different because my mom makes my food so it's not like i can just say hey mom i can't i'm not gonna eat this because it's meat you know because then she would kill me um but when i'm at college i'm actually a lot better about it um, I try to like, since I can buy my own things, I have a smoothie for breakfast every day. And um, like at first I would put milk and I would put yogurt in it, but then I converted to oat milk. And there's also this coconut, they, this yogurt that they make with coconut water instead of like any kind of dairy. And I can tell you right now that it tastes like 10 times better than normal yogurt, right? And it's insane and it adds a whole coconutty flavor to my smoothie and it's insane and um as for cheese i think that cheese like isn't really there yet um cheese the cheese is like terrible <laughs> no offense it's also super expensive like there's like a little bit that was like this big at the chinooks it was like, a tiny little block and it was six dollars yeah i'm not gonna pay six dollars for a tiny block of cheese that isn't good that being said, there's also like a lot of restaurants that do vegan food really 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 well like i went to a place um down in the south city the other day it's called utah utah station and they we had some vegan pizza with my girlfriend because she was here in town and it, I, I swear to, i swear to god it was the best pizza i've ever had in my life like better than any normal pizza okay and we had vegan pepperoni on it okay so it was that good so yeah, yeah. i'm just saying 
But uh, I think that you can like slowly put things into your diet, you know, like changing the yogurt is easy and then like slowly changing it. Like I've seen many videos of like children cooking like the vegan and meat replacements for their parents and they don't even notice. Like, and they're like, wow, this is really good. Congratulations. And then at the end they're like, ha, it was vegan. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely possible to do it. It's just you have to be the one to do it. Like, right. just to make an effort, you it, have to have, like, the willpower to do it. it. Especially, like, you know, like you said, like, if you're someone who is not, you know, responsible for making the meals that you eat, right? Like, if, you know, your family, right, makes your meals, it's, it's almost like running a marathon or, like, training for a marathon. Like, it's possible, but it takes, like, lots of preparation and lots of effort, and you just have to be, like, constantly, um, you know, motivated to try to yeah. preserve that vegan diet. Exactly. No, and my goal, my goal is to be completely vegan, like, whenever I move out. Like, whenever I have my own place and I can control all my food intake, I'll be completely vegan. And that's, that's my idea. Yeah, yeah, that actually reminds me of uh, something that my uncle said. Uh, he was, he's, my uncle's vegan. Uh, and, uh, the last time I saw him out in LA, uh, I was leaving the airport and he said something really weird to me, uh, as uh, like the, as the last thing, last thing he said to me was really weird. And I remember cause he, like, he turned to me and he didn't say like, I love you. He didn't say like, have a good flight. He said, Hey Eli, do you think the U S is responsible for maintaining peace around the world? And if not, what role should the U S play in preventing or intervening in wars and abusive governments? And that that just kind of caught me off guard, right? Um, but it got me thinking. That that was like a deep question too, right? Like for, for an airport question, no less. <laughs> I want to I pose that question to you just because it's been kind of rattling my brain lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Jack, do you want to go first? Um, let's let Antonio go first. Oh, okay. okay. So basic main points of the question, is the United States like in charge of being the police of the world? Yes. And then what was the second point? Like, if not, what role should the U.S. play in preventing okay. or intervening? Okay. Um, okay. I think that I don't think that any country should be in charge of playing the role of the police in the world because, as we've seen recently, the role of the police isn't really good <laughs> in general. <laughs> so. You know, that, there's that. Also, I really don't think that any country has, like, any kind of obligation to other countries. Like, nothing is for, nothing, like, no rule forces anyone to, like, go help another person. I think that a country that has more power and more money and, like, the ability to help others should because they're, like, a good country. Like, People should help each other because they're good people and they want to help each other, not because, like, they're the richest one, you know? So I think that since the United States has, like, the financial capabilities and the militaristic capabilities to help people, it should. But it should, like, in a very selective way, right? Because I'm Latino, I'm from Colombia, and I'm from Mexico. And as a person who comes from those countries, it's, I know a lot about the history of my countries and like the Latin American community. And the United States has um, influenced just about 
like at least one election or like one like major um historical event in every single country of Latin America. And like that can be seen in Honduras, that can be seen in Nicaragua, that can be seen in the Dominican Republic. Uh Puerto Rico is like a like Puerto Rico is like the best example. Okay. Like the the amount of the amount of like the way that the United States has gone about it so far has been very, very negative. And like it's just not good. Like the United States has prevented those nations from deciding their future themselves simply because the future that they have decided doesn't like fit the United States' priorities. And the United States should support, you know, the decisions of the people because that's democracy. That's what it's about. You know, just because it doesn't like favor them, they shouldn't, I mean, the, the United States should help, but only if it supports like the decisions of the people, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's just what I think. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So I have a slight issue with this question because it's it's hard to answer. It's difficult. I feel like a like a most answers contradict itself. Like this question is kind of a double edged sword. You suggest one thing, but then when given a scenario, you suggest another. It's like it's tough to like maneuver around. Because at least in my eyes, I don't think. I don't think isolationism works. It's not good for us as a country as a whole, but I also don't think interventionism works because that's also not good. And we, gen we, we could end up supporting wrong causes, which has been past problems of American uh, foreign politics. I think America shouldn't be the police, but I do think that they should work towards making the globe a better place which includes trying to get other countries to like help support uh organizations that are for as you said the people i think it's important instead of going uh to mingle or to go into foreign uh politics is it's important to not to take out the economic and the political interests of our country and only focus on like human rights and actual peace. I think that's the main uh, like ridicule of American foreign, foreign uh, politics so far is that they've gone into certain situations for shady things. And I think if you could uh, hammer down to just human rights and protecting human rights and getting other countries involved in that, I think then yes, America should be involved, but if they are not, unable to establish the correct reasons for going into a specific country, they shouldn't go because they'll just make things worse. And I know that America has its own problems and many of them, and we need to work on that internally, but that doesn't mean that we could just like turn a blind eye to the other countries and other, like we don't want like genocides to happen. I feel like that should like be stopped. So I think it's important for us to get involved. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree that, uh, you know, my uncle did ask kind of an odd question. And uh, I don't know if it was, uh, I think it's, a, I, I agree, it's a little bit contradictory. I think especially with America, um, if we don't do anything, then the world says, like, how could you not intervene? You have the ability to, like, create peace and you don't. But if we do intervene, right? People say like, hey, why are you intervening in, you know, another country's business, right? And I think uh, our history 
uh, in both cases has been very sketchy, right? So like, for instance, right, like we did colonize Viet, or we did go to war, uh, start a war in Vietnam because we like claim that there's a human rights issue going on. We need to like protect the people, right? We colonized the Philippines and Cuba because we claimed that, you know, it was a human rights issue. We, you know, most recently South Sudan um, became an independent country in large part because the United States said, um, look, there is this like massacre going on. We like, this is a human rights issue we need to like create this independent country and yet what ended happening was like a huge war between south sudan and sudan which caused uh, an increase in the amount of deaths that were happening there so i think whenever we do intervene even when we even if like even when we claim it's for a human rights reason first of all like it's not always a human rights reason right like vietnam right iran afghanistan and even when we do right? Oftentimes, we're coming at it from a Western perspective, which is not always the solution if we're not talking about, you know, what is going on in, you know, non-Western civilizations. But it's also difficult because, for instance, um, like during the Rwandan genocide, um, we chose not to intervene. And, you know, Bill Clinton said it was his biggest mistake in office. The UN condemned America, right? Like we are yelling at the American government right now for not intervening in Myanmar where there's a massive genocide going on. Um, So so it's definitely a gray area, right? In terms of where, how much is too much. And, uh, you know, I agree that human rights should be like where we draw the line. But the problem is at that point, you know, how how can we be sure that our human rights intervention is actually going to be peaceful, which I think gets into a bigger, more philosophical discussion about interventionism. Which is why I think that America shouldn't go in alone. It should be a global effort. Because if it's a global effort, I think if a, a conversation comes out about a certain situation and the globe as a whole decides to do this thing, I feel like the globe would be able to choose the side of human rights in that scenario and support like that part of the situation. So I think the US, instead of getting involved right away, should work towards a global solution. Uh, to end the to end the episode on a more lighter note, I think because <laughs> Antonio is so well traveled and you know, me and Eli want to be well traveled. Um, <laughs> We wanted to just just uh, discuss briefly what our um, our, fa- our our city that we most want to live in. Anywhere in the world, you could choose any city. It's just where do you most want to live? N- name Eli, like two or three. Yeah, we'll do like two or three cities, and we'll end with our guest Antonio. Um, so perfect. This was tough for me because I'm I'm not sure if I want to like live internationally, live in the U.S. Um, so I create, I have a list of three cities, uh, here they are. So one is Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, the reason why is because the New Zealand is such a beautiful country, uh, and such a, uh, you know, welcoming country too. I also don't feel like I'd feel out of place because I looked it up. It's like 25% of people living in New Zealand are immigrants. So I don't feel like as someone who didn't grow up in New Zealand, it'd be like an odd experience for me either, although I haven't been to New Zealand. Um, Overall, it just seems like a really welcoming place. So that's place number one. Um, Place number two is Santa Barbara, California. 
um, which might be a little bit basic, but like also it's like gorgeous. And I feel like it'd be like living in vacation every single day. Uh, so that's my choice number two. And choice number three, potential city number three is Venice, Italy. Um, I don't know Italian, so I'd have to learn how to speak Italian. But the canals are amazing. Like it, it's it's the place I want to visit the most. And I could see myself just living there, you know, by the canals, just reading a book and, you know, working. Like, so that's my top three. What about you, Jack? All right. So personally, like I discussed a lot of cities uh, in my head, but I felt I ended up coming to the conclusion that I don't really want to live abroad. Like, I don't really want to go too far away. I was like debating a lot of international cities, but in the end, I just feel like personally, like I'd love to visit so many cities, but I just wouldn't really want to live in a lot of places other than here because I'm comfortable here, I'm happy here, I have family here, and that's just that's just personally how I feel. I know it may be it may be uh, <laughs> controversial, but so I ended up I I ended up throwing an international city, even though it's not that far away, uh, Toronto. I think I would actually love to play, uh, love to live in because uh, it's still kind of close. Uh, food's good. Uh, it's affordable in a way, and it's got good jobs. And also, the other thing is, it's actually pretty diverse. I think, like, I can't remember remember the percentage, but a lot of the people aren't actually from Toronto who live there. They're from like a lot of places, so it could be like an interesting experience. It's a very diverse experience that I may get. And then the other city. I chose is uh, Austin, Texas. I think that's the one that I'm leaning towards instead of Toronto. I think Austin is the one that I'd most like love them. Uh, personally, I'm from Texas, so I got like a little place in my heart always for that. Um, but I'm from Dallas, but instead this time I'm going to Austin. Uh, the food's great there. Again, affordable living and good jobs for what I'm looking for. And the food, I mentioned the food, and the music scene and the city life is just great. And I think that I could actually see myself living. Um, so for me, I mean, this is kind of a kind of a difficult choice. I feel like there's just so much out there, you know, that like I'd like to experience before um, I die. And I don't know, there's just so many options. Um, I definitely want to live in Europe for like a little bit. Um, I've been learning French for a very long time. So um, I would like to live in maybe Paris or maybe Southern France or Switzerland. Um, I think that um, I'm a very warm weather person. So those countries would be very difficult for me, but I would like to spend some time in like a cold country just to like figure it out and like just enjoy it for a hot sec. Um, after that, um, I think living in Asia would be really cool. I lived in Jakarta for three years and I really enjoyed that vibe and just like that experience. So I definitely want to live um, maybe in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, I've been there and it's just such a weird, but also like really unique and insane place. Uh, the weather is really, really nice. It's in like on the equator. So it's like really tropical and warm, but it's also like a very, uh, very up and coming city, like technologically. It's like the biggest city in Malaysia and one of the most important cities in Southeast Asia. So it's still, it's kind of like, 
it's a lot more developed than like the rest of Asia, but it's also like not, you know? So it's like a, a nice little balance there. It's not like as cold as Tokyo or Seoul, but it's still like, like cool. It's like, a, it's like a, a sweet spot, you know? And then in the end, I probably want to end up in Colombia where I'm from. Like, it's the same thing as Jack said, you know, it's like, it's the home and then it's like Spanish and like the things that you know, and I honestly love to end up there because I, the city is Cartagena and Cartagena is like awesome because it's on the coast and then it has like so many historical areas and it could put the Austin music scene uh, to sleep. So. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, the salsa clubs are insane and there's so much dancing and like just like general Latin vibes cannot be beat in general. So I would just love that. I'd love to live there for a hot second. Well, Antonio, thank you for for joining us. It's, yeah. it's, been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Amazing. Thank you for having me. This has been great. I love talking to you guys. This is a great show. All thank right. You. Thank you so much. This has been right. Choose with the News. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll see you guys later. All right. Thank you. Bye. Okay. We forgot to do this, but shout out. Shout out to Daniel Zhang. Uh, yeah, Daniel. video editor extraordinaire. Thank you so much for editing all these videos. Okay.